Mm-hmm. I remember I was injecting heroin all the time. And I was on massive, massive load of crack cocaine. And it got to the stage that my heart and body couldn't take it anymore. And I went down to the CDT and um, they booked me into a detox. And you know what, from this day, I have never looked back. Eight years on. Born in Ballymun in the late 1960s, Linda Barton, my mother, became a heroin addict at the age of just 14. For 20 years she fought a losing battle with drugs, causing her to leave the country and lose her two children, including myself. May 2009, I'm flying out to Manchester to see my mum. I haven't seen her for a while. College has kept me busy. In 2001, everything changed. When mum checked herself into rehab. Eight years on. This is our story. It's been two years since I last seen her, and today was her 42nd birthday. Hiya, ma'am, you alright? Happy birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. You look as brilliant as you get a look, right? You You're got right? this, yeah? Oh, very funny. Have you got that microphone on? No. Despite her past, she seemed very happy and healthy. Medium height and medium build with long golden hair. Today, she dressed like summer, with a long denim skirt and a bright yellow t-shirt. Oh, that's great. What age you? That's lovely. Very funny. What age you? That's very rude to ask a woman her age. I am 42 today. Yeah. Derek, my brother, had drove us to our house from the airport. (laughs) We were joined by baby Matthew, my nephew, and Linda's grandson. Oh, give us a look. Hiya, Derek. Hello. Doobie-doo, where are you? Here, look what I've got for you, though. Just wait there. (coughs) My name is Derek Barton. I'm 26, and I'm the eldest son of Linda Barton. You are so gorgeous, aren't you? Derek, he is such a... I would describe my mum as being a very driven person, focused, uh, with a fantastic sense of humour, and has a a great outlook on life. And she's very outgoing and available for anybody's needs, and somebody who can uh, really concentrate a lot of time into an individual, and somebody who you can confide in with almost every subject. Just really nice. Oh, thank you, Derek. Thanks very much. You look brilliant. Oh, is everything all right? Everything's grand. Are you sure? Yeah, 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 it's all good. Well, when I was younger, she was a very different person. She certainly 
was not as focused or any of the other qualities as she has today. She was absolutely complete opposite, um, very unreliable. Her temperament was really touch and go. It was tough as well, financially as, as well as uh, emotionally. But during times of living in Manchester, especially, um, she was far too focused on anything other than me. And, um, and at the time, that was very difficult to deal with. After losing custody of me when I was only one, she and Derek were forced to leave the country and reside in Manchester. As a result of this, I had only gotten close with her in the last few years, and having known only bits and pieces of her past, I wanted to know the full story. I discovered that not only was she a young drug addict, but that she had also fallen pregnant at the age of 14. So you were 14 when you first took drugs? I was 14, yeah. No, I wasn't. I was 13. 13. 13 when I took drugs. I fell pregnant at 14. And your first drug was? Um, it was glue and stuff when I was pregnant, but as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I stopped doing that, you know, um, and then I was put into the mother and baby's home as well, so obviously I couldn't take drugs there. Um, I didn't feel the need to, to be honest, you know, um, I didn't want to because I was pregnant. And um, it was when I came out of mother's and mother and baby's home that, um, you know, I went home and I didn't get on with my man. She didn't really want me there. You know, she didn't want me there. So I was out in the streets and I lived um, on the streets with Derek at the age of 15. And um, it was then that I picked up heroin. And um, I'd nowhere to go, you know. I'd nowhere to go. I was in Ballymun. It was a shameful thing to have a child at such an early age. But, um, yeah, I was walking the streets of Dublin. I used to sleep in Ballymun Park. Um, he'd be in the Silver Cross pram. And um, I'd be on the bench. <laughs> and, um, you know, so that was, that was where I would say I started to spin out of control. So the first time you experimented with heroin? My first, um, it was a skin pop of heroin. It wasn't a main line, like it wasn't in my vein or anything. It was like in skin pop. That's a skin, 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 skin pop? Skin pop is where you're not mainlining. You know, you're not mainlining, you're not going into a vein, you're just going into the skin there, you're popping it into the skin. And, and describe how, what's the process of that? Like? Well, the difference with that is if you mainline it, you get an instant rush. If you skin pop it, it, it it's, it's a slower release. Yeah, have you ever injected Injected all my life. Yeah. Mm. What was that like? It was the same. It's, I mean, I only had that one, one skin pop of heroin. The rest was all mainline then, you know. And and anyway, that was it then. I mean, I would say I was instantly hooked. I would say that. I don't think it was a progressive thing where I could take it or leave it. And what was the feeling like? The sort of feeling. It was a very kind of warm, safe, lovable feeling where you feel you're in, not like if you took a knee where you're loved up and you're in love with any, everybody. I don't mean that. It just means that you're happy and you feel part of society. You feel part of, you know what I mean? And, and you feel like you fit in right in the middle and there's nothing wrong with you. And you, you want it and you need it. Well, you feel you do. You know, because it keeps you on that, keeps you in, on that buzz, doesn't it? You know, 
keeps you cope and it keeps you survive. Um, well, that's what you tell yourself in anyway. Um, but today, like, I don't have a vein left. Um, and the only embarrassing, the only time I really think about it is when I have to go to the doctors and at the hospital and it takes them 50 minutes to get blood out of me. 50 minutes was the last time. Over the years, my mum had injected a serious amount of drugs into her veins and even kept using during her pregnancy with me. Because of this, I was born a heroin addict and had to be put through a full detox. That nearly killed me. Although I was unaware of it, I couldn't help thinking, why would somebody keep using drugs, especially after seeing their child go through that? I was doing some research and um, I found somebody said that um, it's like an instant warm rush and every problem you just totally forget about it. And it takes it away. It takes it away and it was like for me, it was a feeling of being loved inside, you know, and it filled up that need somehow. When I, you know, you're asking me now how I felt then. If you'd have said to me then, going back a long time ago, I would have never been able to describe it to you. I was too young. You know, I didn't have the awareness that I have today. Um, I didn't have the insight into addiction that I have today. Um, but if you were to ask me how I felt or how I was feeling back then to take that, I would say that I was in a lot of pain. I must have been in a lot of pain. I must have been, you know, um, upset. You know, um, there must have been an awful lot going on, but yet people can t- can say to me today, Jesus, I can understand why you did that, Linda, or I can understand because if you went through these things. But it was called denial. That's what it was called. It was called denial. And denial can keep people very safe for such a long time, you know, until it starts to crumble. Because when it does, the drugs don't even work anymore. Because the reality and the truth hit you in the face, you know, and then you have to deal with it. As we were interrupted by a friend dropping around a birthday card from home, I sat in the living room thinking about what I just heard. Well, I was quite happy growing up with my dad and Bally Moon. Little did I know, Mum was living a life of pain in England. Cards. I save all my cards up. I have tons of cards in the box. Yeah, I just keep them with love. Dear Linda, I hope you have a wonderful birthday filled with special moments for a special friend you deserve. Bally Moon was a different place back then, and in some ways, I wouldn't blame her for leaving. Why did you leave Ireland? Um, why did I? Because, God almighty, it was just... My drug use was really, really bad. I left Ireland because I'd been in a treatment centre called Cool Mine. Um, I went into detox after I'd had you, Christopher. I went in to do a detox. I came out, um, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, nothing. I was probably about six and a half, seven stone or something. I was really, like, ill um, from withdrawals, etc. I was in Bowmount Hospital. And um, I had nowhere to live when I came out. Me and your dad had broke up. He didn't want to see me anymore. He didn't even want to open the door to me. And I'd split from Kilmine and knocked his door and he, he opened the door and went, hello, goodbye. 
shut the door really, really quickly. And um, so, you know, like I come to England because I'd nowhere really to go. I couldn't take you with me. I wasn't allowed to have you. He wouldn't give me, give him back to me, you know what I mean? Um, and I had Derek. And um, I knew, actually, I knew 100% that if I stayed in Dublin, I was going to die. I knew that, you know. So I got a shopping trolley and Derek by the hand and wanted to take you as well. But, you know, your dad had other ideas and plans. Do you know what I mean? Because um, I'd split from the treatment centre after about seven months. And um, when I went back out to Bally Monday, he said, you're going to use drugs again. I told him to lift from, you know, from the treatment centre and um, back to Dublin. And I went into a friend's flat and there again, about within an hour or two hours, I was injecting heroin again, you know. What England when he was here? My uncle, my uncle John was here. I mean, my sister was here, my sister Rose was here and, and she was probably the most important person that I'd want to come over and see. Um, and when I got over... Um, I ended up in the homeless families with Derek. And when I was in the homeless families then, it was then that I started getting to know my uncles and the rest of my family over here, bit by bit. But my Uncle John had a big, massive part to play in my upbringing of Derek and, and kind of the support and the help that I did get. But probably, you know, I didn't have an awareness of that really then until now. You know how much he was very supportive, but yeah, he was there. He was there for Derek. Most importantly, he was there for Derek. As it was our birthday, we left it there, and so me and Derek drove north to visit my great uncle John. John not only knew a lot of her past, but he also became the legal guardian of my brother. Who looked after you when she was sick? When she was sick, um, I stayed with various places. I, I was in foster homes and care homes uh, with family, um, more so family in the end. Um, but my long-term place was, was with my auntie and uncle, or should I say my mum's auntie and uncle, my great-auntie and uncle, um, in Manchester. And uh, that was where I lived growing up. That's my auntie and uncle, uh, John and Margaret. It had been quite some time since I last seen John. And although he had lived in Manchester for the last 20 years, he still had his full Irish accent. After our hellos, we sat down and I asked him what my mum was like when she arrived in England. I'm John Barton and I'm her uncle. Well, when she was on the drugs... She didn't know nothing at all. She was, it was all her. From the morning, from the time of dawn, she got up. That's if she ever went to bed. It was drugs, 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 and where she could get the money. And she didn't care what she'd done or what she had to do to get them. Because uh, she had no... Uh, she didn't care. She'd rob, steal, borrow. She didn't care where she got it. She'd sell. She didn't care. As long as she got the money for the drugs and the drink. She was like a bit crazy back then? Oh, yeah, she was very crazy because she, she was very unpredictable because you didn't know what she was going to do next. She could turn in in a second and stab you up. You know what I mean? And uh, that's the type she was. She was a kind of a, a very split uh, personality and character. One minute she was all right, everything going her way, and she was out of her brains with drugs. Bump. 
then she could just switch and she'd knife you up when you're backwards. So she wouldn't wait for your back to turn, she'd do it in front of you. She'd just give it to you, you know. But what's the better expression? But <laughs> <laughs> Derek now, Derek was in foster homes before. What made you look, what made you take Derek in? Well, I mean, say, I've had Derek since he was what? I think he was about three, on and off. Because uh, she'd leave him here with me and then she'd disappear. After our drug mates and friends or whatever. And then she'd come back and just grab him. And that'd be it. I had no control whatsoever over her. But then I got to the stage where she was landing up here. She landed here one night with a big load of them in the car, junkies in the car and they were all off the head she just went in and grabbed Derek and he he was screaming and she was dragging him out the door I hadn't seen her for 18 months previous to that Derek was here for 18 months so he was settled here with us she took him away then and then I got a phone call from Derek and I said to Derek well I said right there has to be something done I said I'm not going to have you being dragged back and forward so I said what I'm going to do I said is uh, I'm going to employ While John looked after Derek, my mum was now free to lose self-control. Back in Ballymun as a three-year-old, I knew nothing of her condition, and hearing about it today makes me feel sad that I could do nothing more. As the conversation went on, I heard some frightening stories, but I couldn't believe what I was about to hear. She was after being down on my side, down in the famous Gooch Close. My side was, at that time, it had a gang called the Gooch Gang. And it's well known, Woodle Wyatt. But apparently, what she did was she went down to get some sort of heroin. And only for the taxi driver, seeing her, that she got into difficulties. They were going to take all the money off her. Other than wives and that, she'd be very seriously hoarded. Because it was well known down there, you'd lose your life in seconds. And... Uh, she got the taxi driver to take her here. And she came in and she was panicking. She said, you never know what the happened to hell that uh, wanted to do to me. She said, I was doing a deal down there. And she was out of her head anyway. You know. So I just come in. So the taxi driver explained to me. He said, Only he said I didn't know they were doing a drug deal. He says. So he explained to me anyway. So she come in here and she sat down. And next thing she got this silver paper out. And a spoon. And I'm looking at it now. I, I was totally shocked because I couldn't believe what I was seeing in my own home. You know what I mean? So she started uh, making this thing. And uh, she took it, some of it, whatever, whatever, I forget what she But she took it anyway. Smoked it or whatever she done. And she said to me, hey, do you want some of it? I said, the best thing you can do now. I grabbed her over and I threw her away, turned down the toilet. I said, the best thing you can do now is, is, is you and that. I said, never mind you, it's close. I said, I'll kick your fucking head right off you. I said, you're fucking cheeky, you offered that to me. You know what I mean? Does that story perfectly describe our mental state? That was our mental state. She didn't even realise that I was her uncle and she was offering it to me. So, like, you know, to me, it was totally... I was shocked, I was angry, and I was, uh, how could I put it, I was totally gobsmacked. I couldn't believe it. Actually, her doing it in my front room, and then offering it to me. But then when she offered it to me, I just lost it. 
And I put it down the toilet and I said, right, I said, get the fuck out. I said, and that's the end of it. Call Father of Linda or Bill Hartz. After a few cups of tea and John playing the mandolin, we decided to go outside as it was a lovely summer's day. By this stage, I was very curious about my mum cleaning herself up. So, sorry, what did you think um, when you heard she was going to clean herself up? Uh, well, at first I thought it was a bit calm because I heard we heard her all before. But really, deep down inside her, I think that she wanted to. Somewhere there in our uh, drug and alcoholic state, she wanted to, um, you know, give them up, give the drugs up and the drink up and get back to what we call normal, which was a long way back after 20 years, or 17 or 20 years on the drugs and the abuse of drugs and alcohol. It's a long way to come back. Because, as I said before, previous, it's 20 years, 17 to 20 years missing out of her life that she's no recollection whatsoever about. No. Sometimes she has a thing called flashbacks. And she doesn't know if it's a dream or is she imagining it. This is when she was going through the stages of cleaning up her act. She didn't know if she was imagining it. Oh, she's just dreaming it. And she was trying to make sense of that as well. Because she had no recollection that it happened to her. It was actually her that was going through. But at that stage of her uh, recovery, she didn't... Um, she couldn't relate that to herself. And it was all mixed up in her mind. Um, what happened was I was living in a flat in you. And I was injecting heroin all the time I mean it must have been every good few times a day I was on 105 milligrams of Fisceptone I was on like loads of Valium 10 I was on Oprah's, I was on Downers I was on Lithium for manic depression I was on all sorts and I was on massive, massive load of crack cocaine and it got to the stage that my heart and body couldn't take it anymore it was like I had an adverse effect it had an adverse it was like it wasn't walking anymore it stopped walking and just at that moment I just I don't know what happened all I know was it was that an internal thing mentally emotionally inside of me it was like everything had just caved in but yeah there was a moment of clarity where the light went on and I went down to the CDT, Drug Treatment Agency over here, and um, they booked me into a detox. And um, I went straight into Presswich Hospital. And you know what, from this day, I have never looked back. Because do you know why, Christopher? I knew I was going to die. And I knew that if I didn't do something, there and then... There was no more one last go with me. There was no one more last chance. Or let's try this. Or I'm going into detox next week. Let's have a big blowout. You know, it was nothing like that. You know, and um, it was life or death. Eight years ago, around the same time mum checked herself into detox, Derek had moved back to Ireland to live with me. Although I was aware I had a brother, 
I had never really known him before then. We became very close very quick, as we both shared growing up alone and without a parent. But while we were enjoying each other's company, we were also very anxious of my mum's progress in the detox centre. In that detox, I crawled the floors. I actually crawled the floors and... Um, my brother, it was my brother, he was absolutely brilliant. He was ringing me up and he was he was encouraging me and keeping me going and, you know, saying the right positive things to me, getting me in the gym, doing skipping and everything. I mean, I was wrecked. I was wrecked. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep for weeks, you know. And I remember going out and taking a walk and the smell of the grass and the smell of the trees and, you know, all your senses coming back and everything. But uh, I was really, really in bits. I was in a bad way. And I remember being in the detox, some guy that was shining, it was in April, the sun was shining one day, and he was sitting there with sunglasses. I remember thinking, what's he doing with sunglasses on him sitting in a detox? And uh, he was obviously used. And I just said, do me a favour, don't offer me any because I don't want any. Now, I don't know where I got the courage to say that. But just don't, you know, so assertively, don't offer me any because I don't want any. Unaware of my mum's progress and detox, eight months had gone by without any contact. I was beginning to accept that she may not have pulled through. But just after my 16th birthday, I received a letter from mum letting me know she was doing well and I would see her soon. Yeah. Anyway, so I want to show you this letter that you, uh, you wrote to me when you were in detox. Years ago, when yeah. I was in Presswich Hospital down a detox. Give us a Friday, April 20th, 2001. Friday the 20th of April. Hi Christopher. In 2001. Probably yeah, the one. This is a public announcement. Slim Shady is going to kill you. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing fine. Sorting myself out once and for all. I've lost nine pounds. I'm really chuffed. That's four bags of sugar. It's great in here. I play badminton in the gym and on the bikes, etc. Yeah man, I'm cool. Meeting new people. I'm listening to Slim Shady at the moment. Did anyone ever tell you to shove a record up your ass? What? <laughs> Keep on mixing your music. It's good for you. I love it. Someone in here is going to help me learn music. May I have your attention, please? Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Please stand up? Please stand up? On a serious note, how are you doing? I hope you're still going to school. It's good for you. Are you still working? How is your girl? I like her a lot. Tell her I hope she's treating you well and vice versa. I still have four weeks to go in here, and then I'm going to pay you and Derek a visit. I really hope you're looking after yourself. How is your dad? Okay, I hope. Tell him I said hello and I still think of him. Christopher, I love you so much, and we still haven't gotten to know each other. You're always in my heart, son, and when I get out of here, I'm going to kick some ass. Move over, here I come. Oh my God! I hope I'm in your prayers. Keep strong and keep smiling. I love you always, Mum. P.S. Don't forget to write. It keeps you going in here. Trusted me, my favourite stuff. Oh my God, what did you think when you read that? Did you think, God, I've got a loony mum? Yeah, I was a bit frightened, actually. (laughs) After detox, my mum had begun her 12-step programme in Narcotics Anonymous. And to shed more light in her recovery, I had arranged to meet Myra. Myra was my mother's sponsor and helped her a lot through her addiction. I was very excited to meet her, as my mum had always said, if it were not for Myra, she may not be alive today. Sponsorship isn't about counselling at all. Sponsorship is about 
uh, friendship, really. It's about having someone in your life that you can talk to, that you can trust, that you can tell anything in the world to and know for sure that they are not going to pass that information on to anyone. Um, it's a very... It's a very, very um, beautiful thing, really. It's a two-way thing. In if I'm feeling rather lost and a bit messed up, I'll phone Linda too. I'll phone Linda and ask her what she thinks, you know, and she'll put me in my place. <laughs> so it's not it's not a counselling. It's a, a much deeper journey than that. I don't know how comfortable you're going to feel answering this one, but my mum always says that if it wasn't for you, there's a strong, strong possibility that she could be dead. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, Linda wanted, was determined, was willing and ready to get into recovery. And if she hadn't met me, she'd have met someone else who would have done exactly what I did with her and we did at the treatment centre. There wasn't just me in a treatment centre. There were other people working there um, that were giving all their, their time and love and support to Linda also. Um, I'm sure she's aware of that, but she does tend to... We have a, a really good connection, you know. We, we have a lot of respect for each other. And uh, although it's very nice that she seems to place me in this position, but I do believe that because of the desire in Linda and Linda's nature and the willingness she had, that she would have got well and she would have gone on to succeed anyway, with or without me. It's just been a privilege to be a part of her recovery and to see what she's done with her life since then. And as a son, I just want to say thanks for helping her. You're welcome. No problem. <laughs> thanks very much. Since my mum has overcome her heroin addiction... She's become a brand new woman. She has educated herself, earning a master's degree in counselling, and rebuilt a loving relationship with me, Derek, and my dad. Nothing can make up for all the time we've lost together, but it's no longer about dwelling on the past. It's about building a future. As it was Mum's 8th anniversary free from drugs, me and Derek flew her back to Dublin to see our family and once again return to where it all started. We brought her to see my dad and surprisingly this was the first time ever the four of us had been in the same room. Very, very funny. They dream believers. Well, I know, we don't know why that was, so... What's that? Well, the four of us was been in the same room when I was born. Oh, of course, yeah. But not when you were born. No. Somebody was minding dirty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah what? Somebody was minding dirty. It was worse than dirty when Christopher was born. Was it? Oh, well. Was a young man? She was there anyway. It was actually Edward. Christopher was actually born. No, Derek, I have a photograph of Derek actually holding. No, Christopher in the hospital. My mum went up to see him. That's right. Yeah, we're Olivia. I thought we got photographs of Olivia. Yeah, but the two of them were in the same room. No, it was a four of the four of us. Oh, right. You were in bed. Where was I? No, you were in the bed in the hospital. No, I mean. Do you know? No, well, you were like... 
Leaving Derek and my dad to catch up, me and my mum decided to take a walk in the park. Anyway, so how does it feel being back in Dublin? Feels really good, actually. Yeah, feels really, really good. It has changed a bit, though, hasn't it, since since I left, I suppose. Um, Especially here in Ballymun. Well, in Ballymun, yeah, because, I mean, you're walking into it where, I mean, it's different, isn't it? They've got houses now and stuff like that. Everything was just all flats down at the time, and I can see just a couple of flats there, that cold tree, but the rest of all being took down and stuff so yeah it does it did feel a bit strange a bit weird at first when i came but um i'm still delighted that i'm here do you know what i mean because i love i love me own and you know you can't beat the irish really can you no. do you know what i mean <laughs> so uh once the people aren't took over that's all right you know exactly, yeah. yeah it's feel nice to be around your family again oh it feels great yeah it feels great you know um i mean it's the welcome that you get as well mm. you know and uh you know, with does like, you know, the Irish are very family orientated in any way, you know, and family is important to us. And, and um, you know, it's great to see you and Derek doing really, really well with you as our lives, considering where I'd come from and what I'd been through and what you've all been through with me. Do you know, um, even though you've lived over here and I lived in England, it's been a hard slog for all of us and it's been painful at times. You know, it's been really painful at times. And, you know, sometimes you think when you when you when you hope for a happy end and you think it's just a fantasy or something, you never believe that it's going to happen because you never believe in the first place that you're going to come off drugs. Mm. You know, you 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 you, de- you believe you're destined to die because you lose the will to live, really, you know, and you come back to Dublin and. You, you sit there and you think, well, I know, I, I think to myself, Jesus, like, who would have taught, who would have taught this? Mm. You know, we're all still alive, we're happy, getting on with our lives, and we're all focused on what we want to do. We've got our health, you know, um, we've got our sense of humour, mm. and, and we, we don't expect much in life, do you know what I mean? Um, but we don't sell ourselves short neither, and it's really good, especially coming from a place like Ballymun. I mean, people can say about Ballymun all they want, really, but... Um, Good people come from a good stock, you know, and uh, we're not stupid and far from it, you know. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm really, really pleased to be home. Yeah. Exactly. Here you are, you're interviewing me. You know, you have the knowledge and the experience of what you've went through, you know, with your own mother. And so how many others? Mm-hmm. And if they can put that with education as well, mm-hmm. you know, they'd be on to a winner. Mm-hmm. Bally Mun would be on the TV every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, but you know what I mean. So, um, sort to take me on the swings. Yeah, take you on the swings. Yeah. Go on. You never did when I was a kid. I'm only joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy, go on the swing. One, do you want to go on? No, you go on. I'm going to you. Isn't that great? Oh yeah. You know, I used to be on these when I was a kid, right? And they used to make me sick. Yeah. Isn't it great? I feel all that. You were that age once, man. Huh? You were that age once. This is it. I was. Still am. Just got an older head on me shoulders. <laughs> you know? Those your guys when you What was it? Just didn't mean to, it just fell off. Yeah. So it just went head first and just went. Don't do it. And if you're there doing it, stop doing it. 
Don't go to the places I've been. Why waste your whole life? Why throw away your whole life? You know, just just reach out and get some help. Believe that you're worth it. You know, don't go through what I've been through. Try and look ahead. It's not a life. It's not a life. And there's plenty of people out there that will help. You know, there's more and more help now today. If I was on the streets of Dublin now, right, and I was aware of that there was somebody out there that could help and support me, I'd probably go in, take the risk and go in somewhere and sit down and say, this is what I'd like to do. Is it possible that you can help me achieve that? Just ask for the help. During the process of making this documentary, I've learned so much about my mum and also myself. Given the choice, I wouldn't have this story to tell. However, regardless of what's happened, I'm okay, Dad's okay, Derek is okay, and my mum is okay. This was never going to be an easy story, but it was our story. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.